Welcome to another episode of Compressed FM. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about design trends to look forward to in 2022. And I'm super excited about this episode because typically you think of design as visual design, but a few things that are on the list are more about experiential design. So this is going to be a fun one. My name is Amy Dutton. I am the Director of Design at Zeal. And my name is James Q. Quick. I'm a JavaScript developer, speaker, and teacher. Web development and design, who would have guessed what we can do on both, even at a little zest. So turn up the volume, get ready for the best. Let's get it started in this episode of Compress. Today, we are joined by three fabulous sponsors. Zeal is a software consultancy and they are hiring. Tella is a video solution and Vercel is and Vercel will meet all of your hosting needs. More from each of these later in the show. James, what have you been up to? Who knows? Right before recording, I just ran four miles, which is a really big deal yeah. for me. I've talked about this a little bit, but I hadn't run at all until like a couple of months ago. And I've gotten up to four miles. And Jess and I were talking about, she just ran a half marathon in the St. Jude and she crushed it. And we were talking about doing one together in March. And there's one in DC that I would love Ooh. to do. I would love to have an excuse to go to DC and hang out and maybe be prepared by then. I mean, that's three months away oh, from yeah, now. So I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast or not, but I have a torn labrum in my hip and I haven't pushed myself to this point, like distance wise running. And yeah. so we'll see as I continue to do that, what it's like. I don't know. Other than that, we just got back from Florida. We saw the Tampa Bay Bucks play American football NFL. That was a great game too. It was. It was absolutely insane. And there were two historical records that were set by Tom Brady for people who don't watch football, literally the best quarterback of all time. So that was really, really cool. We'd always wanted to see him play and to do that in Tampa for a huge game. That was a lot of fun. was really, really special. So we just got back uh, a couple of nights ago and then just kind of catching back up at home. What about you? What are you up to? Well, I will add to the running conversation. So I right now cannot run a mile. (laughs) I mean, I could. I could run a mile. (laughs) But I have not been running and I signed up for a half marathon in April. So I will be getting on up there. So I was going to say you should come run the country music half in April. Oh, okay. Is that Nashville then? It is in Nashville. They've rebranded it. So it's another St. Jude's half. Mm. But I think the group that used to do is the rock and roll music city. I don't know. Yeah, we did that one four or five years ago. I love it because there's a band at every mile. And so there's always something to look forward to. It's really fun when you go past the bands because people are singing and shouting and just makes the experience and the miles go by faster. But I'm running this with a friend. So there's accountability. I've already paid for the race. So it's going to happen. But I say you can totally do it because really just training, as long as you add on a mile a week, Mm -hmm. you're set up for success to be able to run. I've heard in training, we probably should move past the running conversation quickly, but I've heard in training that you can safely go up a tenth of your -hmm. previous max each week. So it actually takes up until you get to 10 miles before you could quote unquote safely add a mile. But I think you could definitely do more than that. So yeah, I've got to be careful because I'm older than I was (laughs) when I ran this 10 years ago. Yeah. So trying to push myself too far too fast. Yep. If we don't do DC, the one you mentioned is actually a good option for us. So maybe we'll be there. You could do both. Uh, Maybe. We'll see. (laughs) So what have we been doing? I'll keep this brief, but we went to the Opryland Hotel this weekend. So that was fun. My five-year-old turned six. And so she wanted to spend her birthday at a fancy hotel. So we went to Opryland. I mentioned it last episode, but they have a water park attached to the hotel. 
So we had a great time hanging out there and went on a carriage ride to look at the Christmas lights. I mean, the hotel is completely decked out. So super fun. Okay, well, let's get into it. So one thing that I wanted to talk about first to kind of contextualize the whole conversation is our design trends even really worth talking about? Because by nature, the definition of a trend means that it's going to come and go. So if you're constantly trying to update your site to match the latest trend, then there's just a conversation about branding. Is it worth it? Because you're going to have to change everything next year. And are you really establishing yourself for the long haul if you're constantly changing the look and feel? So I just wanted to say there's a balance between looking modern and staying in touch so that your brand looks that it's new and relatable. But you also do have to be careful because that becomes fickle if you're constantly chasing the latest trend. You're always trying to change things. That in itself, that changing means that you're not really trustworthy because they really don't know who you are. And I think about maybe different from the trustworthy conversation, just harder to recognize, right? Like whatever colors, whatever icon or whatever look and feel you have to everything that you do, if it's consistent, people know that thing. And I've talked about this with you, at least in in design conversations for my personal brand. One of the things I really like are some of these styled code snippets that people share and they have this template where they add in the code and it's got like their logo on the top and it uses their colors. And without even seeing who posted it, I know whose template that is and I directly associate it with that person. So I would think, yeah, just the reiteration of the brand and have that consistency for people so they know what to expect when they see it. I think that would be a big piece of it as well. Yeah, I totally agree. Like I can see a commercial for Target or Crate and Barrel come on and before they even show the logo, I know Mm -hmm. it's Crate and Barrel or it's Target just because their brands are so strong. But I think that goes to another piece of the conversation is that there's a difference between style trends and brand trends. So when you're thinking about branding, you obviously want it to be there for the long haul. So logos like Starbucks and Coca-Cola have been in existence forever, it seems like, 100 years at least. But they have modified things slightly. Like if you go back and look at the evolution of the Starbucks logo, they've always had the mermaid in some capacity, but they've changed her look and feel. But you associate that mermaid and that color green with Starbucks. I just never quite realized that that was a mermaid. I feel like I may be the only one. Often I have a lack of attention to that sort of detail. I've never put that together. It's not as obvious that it's a mermaid now as when like 100 years ago they had the mermaid. Okay. It's more of a risque mermaid. It's kind of like the siren type of mermaid, mm. which definitely explains my addiction. Um, <laughs> but the older versions, like she's topless. Oh, and I see it. And the wavy hair is covering her top. And so now they've kind of zeroed in on the top, but it looks a lot more modest. Yeah. A little more acceptable, I think, to the general populace these days. If you're part of the newsletter, I'll include a picture so you can see exactly what we're talking about with the evolution of of Starbucks. Coca-Cola is very similar. They've just slightly tweaked that cursive, but it's very similar to what it was 100 years ago. So what kind of prompted all of this was I had a company that I designed a logo for about 10 years ago, and I've moved on to other things and recently came to my attention that they were changing the logo, which is fine. I don't work there anymore. It's not a big deal. But their reasoning for it really bothered me. It was not the logo is not serving us well. It's not that the logo is not representative of our audience. It was that it's time. 
we need to change because it's time. And to me, that just spoke to the fact that they didn't really understand what branding is because branding is not necessarily a time conversation. It should last longer. And things like style trends and how you present your brand, that can be revised and updated. Target has done that. They still have the Target logo, but they've changed how they handle their marketing and they've changed the styling around their logo. So there's a different conversation there. So I just wanted to provide that context as we talk about these things that you might see in 2022. So as I was doing research for this episode, I found a great article on Webflow and I will include a link to it because I really liked how they talked about potential trends for 2022. And as I kind of alluded to earlier, the thing that I really like about the things that they added on their list is that it's not just about visual design design also talks about experience and how people interact with your brand. And it's a lot more encompassing than just the things that you see. So I've tried to include some of those things as well as we're knocking through stuff. So the first item on the list was mini sites of delight. And you can kind of categorize this as Pixar, for example, started including shorts at the beginning of all of their movies. And it was a way for their animators to really experiment with different styles and concepts, but also to stay creative. And so I think you'll see more of that in the future, that there'll be these landing pages where people are able to experiment with different styles and really push their creativity. And the thing that I liked about this particular trend is I feel like I've been able to experience and benefit from this myself. So We have the advent of CSS and the advent of JavaScript. Recently, I've also created landing pages for Everything's Felt and some open source projects. And the things that I really enjoyed about that is it allowed me to push my creativity and not necessarily be tied to a business or certain business principles and objectives and KPIs and ROIs and all the alphabet you want. It just allowed me to do something different outside of my normal zone. So I really like this. That's kind of cool that our perspectives, I think, on that open field for design are totally different. That's so daunting to me. Like with having so much less experience, has someone tell me, here's the colors, here's the fonts, here's the spacing, here's some templates maybe. But I can absolutely imagine, especially with you being restricted to whatever existing things are in place. And sometimes I imagine you get to create a lot of that stuff yourself, but being limited to what's there already instead of having that full runway to just do what you want. And I think if people haven't checked out those sites, I'll repeat them for people just in case, advent of JS, advent of CSS and everything's felt. It's worth it. Like even if you're not interested in the content, it's absolutely worth it just to go check out the site because I think it's that cool. And hopefully that's something that we get to do. I mean, that's our plan for next year is to just do more of that stuff. So maybe design trying to look forward to is just more landing pages from Amy specifically as we come up with more content. (laughs) But you have also benefited that. I'd also stick JQQ memes in that category. Yeah, absolutely. And let's take a minute and talk about Vercel. Vercel will meet all of your hosting needs. We're actually hosting the compressed.fm site and my personal site, selfteach.me on Vercel. They also power more well-known sites like Twilio, but you can use them for e-commerce, travel, news, and marketing sites. You name it, they can host it. When I got ready to launch the compressed site, it was super easy. I pointed it to the GitHub repository and told it what folder my next.js project was in, and then it just worked ridiculous, right? But they also power over 30 plus Jamstack frameworks, including Create React App, Next, Nuxt, Vue, Ember, Svelte, Angular, Hugo, and Gatsby, just to name a few. But one of my favorite features is when you set up your account, you get your own dashboard, 
And here you can invite other team members to collaborate or view analytics. So as soon as I push the code to my GitHub repository, it deploys that code and I can watch the build and its entire process through their custom dashboard. So be sure to check out Vercel. I'll include a link in the show notes, but special thanks to Vercel for being a Compressed.fm sponsor. Okay, so the second one is more app-like experiences. And this excites me too. The last episode was all about tech to look forward in 2022. And some of the things that we talked about, like with WebAssembly and being able to do more on the web, the fact that Chromebooks basically just run a browser and you can do everything that you need within a browser window is crazy to me. And so just seeing more things like that. I design every day in Figma and at the end of the day, it's an Electron app. And the fact that I can do that and have that kind of power within a web browser is mind-blowing. I mean, that's a totally different perspective and something I don't think I certainly wouldn't have thought of coming into this conversation. But I think that is really cool to think about how us as developers, our ability and the tools and the frameworks and things like that, how that enables everything else. There's a quote from... I have no idea who it is actually, but it's like every company is a tech company, right? Because you don't have a product or a successful company without a website, without an app, without infrastructure on the back end. And the more that development comes along to be able to enable that, that just means better experiences for people in all different kinds of markets. So especially in the design market here, something like Figma is a great example of that. Yeah, for sure. So the next one that I have is Art Deco. This is a style and you can think of it like Gatsby. So if you ever watch The Great Gatsby, they have a lot of these ornaments and borders and things like that around the edges. But just seeing more of that type of style, I think this also goes along with just line work. I've seen a lot of websites that have just outlined everything. I know we've referenced Figma, but Figma has outlines around all their shapes. Gumroad just released a new site design and it has outlines around everything. And so I just think that you'll start to see more and more of that as a design trend. And when you say outlines, is that like box shadows or like hard lines? Hard lines. I'm pulling up Gumroad website for the first time in a long time, which is this drastically different than what it had been? Like this looks much, much different. And these are, I don't know how I would characterize it myself, but these are very hard, clean lines that feels... I don't know. It's different. I don't feel Mm -hmm. like I see much of this, but it actually looks really good. It's got a... I don't even know what it is for me. It's got like a cartoony feel, I think, just because of the yeah the colors. But it is very, very square lines. Very geometric mm-hmm. with these solid colors. What's interesting about the Gumroad site redesign, they also redesigned their logo, is that it dropped on Cyber Monday because we were getting ready to launch Advent of JS and Advent mm-hmm. of CSS. I had Gumroad up on my computer all weekend. And then we launched it and I hit refresh and I was like, what happened to the site? I thought that was such a bold move of them (laughs) to make that drop on Cyber Monday when everybody's trying to sell stuff anyways. Uh But part of that drop was they also dropped a new iPhone app for their dashboard so you can get stats in real time on your phone, which I've also enjoyed. But like I said, I just felt like they were asking for potentially a world of problems if that launch went south. Yeah, I think this is something to consider. There's something to be said for someone who pulls up a site that they haven't been to in a long time and it looks completely different and them questioning, am I on the right site? Like as one example, and just the lack of recognition, we talked about that earlier. I would think that's a very dangerous move to happen on a day that so many people are probably going to be really active on the platform. That seems really, really risky. And that's kind of the small side effect that a lot of people... I don't think we would necessarily think about it. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Maybe this is an intentional thing and a conversation starter. 
But if I'm used to something and I'm getting ready to sell a product to make money and it changes, I'm definitely a little nervous. All the widgets that they have that you embed on your site, all those stay the same. The basic layout of the pages was the same. The only difference was the styling and they moved the top nav to the side. So at least it wasn't completely disorienting, but it was a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, especially as I'd had that site open on my computer all weekend and then to get ready to launch and it changed. <laughs> yeah. This is unsolicited feedback if anybody from Gumroad is here. But I encourage people, if you're listening, go and check out the site and just see what you think. I almost with their colors and they're kind of like pastel colors. There's a lot of pink and yellow and bright and almost whimsical colors. It almost, I feel like for me, I don't think of that design as here's the thing that's going to help you make money. It seems almost too whimsical. It seems like it's a little too childish for me. So I would say maybe it's just not being used to it. And I think that happens for a long time when there's any change, but it seems a little bit against what I would expect that type of company to look like from a website perspective. I think I do like their new design, but I've also warmed up to it. I mean, I've been digging through all of it for three weeks now. There were some jokes on Twitter, though, about make the logo bigger. So if you go to the website, it basically takes up the upper half of the screen. It's ginormous. But their old site was a lot softer in their color palette. It was starting to look dated. So this is definitely a jump. But again, this goes back to the trend conversation. Do you want to constantly be chasing those trends? The next one that I have, number five, is fewer images in the hero image. So bringing more typography and things like that. Having fewer images in the hero, it kind of leads into the next one, having oversized typography. And what's funny is when I saw oversized typography on the Webflow list, I feel like that has been on the trend list forever. (laughs) Just more and more people are getting more comfortable with seeing oversized typography and using that as a statement, not just text, this is who we are, Gumroad, large and in charge across the top, but also, you know, it's been a trend for years where it says like, I am Amy Dutton, I am a director of design at Zeal and just saying what you do. But that's been a big thing for several years now. Yeah. And the fewer images and the hero image, that's the default layout for so many websites over the span of several Mm -hmm. years is just you have a big image up top. A lot of them took up the entire height of the screen. You had the layout where you had an image on the right and then a piece of text and a call to action button on the left, or you had it right in the middle or you flipped it and the image was on the left and the text and call to action was on the right. So yeah, it'll be kind of interesting to see how noticeable that is as a change. Cause I feel like a lot of that stuff was pretty templated for a long time. Yep. So fewer images in the hero image was number five. Six was oversized typography. Number seven is interactivity. And I'm excited about this one because I feel like there's a lot of room for me to grow and improve as a designer and a developer with interactivity and animation and SVGs. (laughs) (laughs) Leave it up to Amy (laughs) to find another reason to throw SVGs into the conversation. Uh, I love an SVG. Yeah. So I'm excited about that one. Let's see. Number eight is collage and abstract illustrations. And the interesting thing about this one is when I was in college, so that was in 2003, collages and this grunge look were really popular. And what's funny is I feel like we're coming full circle to that. I'm starting to see more and more of that in designs. So it's interesting also seeing the evolution of it because it's the same but different. Yeah, I feel like so many things are like that. My brother-in-law, a few years older than you. He's always talked about that, like something that he enjoyed that now his kids are saying or doing or whatever it is. Here's a really weird example, like mullets are making a comeback. I see middle school kids with mullets and I'm like, oh, you should be so embarrassed not actually saying this to them. But you could tell they like love it. They walk around with all the confidence in the world. It's amazing how (laughs) things come full circle. 
But I mean, these design conversations carry themselves even to toys. Like my kids mm-hmm. will play with Polly Pocket, but the Polly Pocket of today does not look like the Polly Pocket that I played <laughs> with, you know, or the strawberry shortcake or any of these things. They've all changed and evolved. So anyways, it's very interesting. Number nine is gradients with grain. And if you go to the no code conference website, this is a great example. This is all over their site. And James, I would even say that this is part of your new site design that we've been (laughs) working on on and off is talking about not necessarily gradients, but having the grain on the site and adding more of texture and some of the grunge feel to it. Is that the same as mesh gradients or is that a different thing? So I think gradients with grain is different than mesh gradients, what you're describing. So what you're describing is like the stripe header. And if you go to stripe, it's, I feel like set so many trends. There was actually a great episode that I listened to with Charlie Marie. She has a podcast that I'll link to, but she interviewed one of the designers at stripe and talked to them about the fact that you've set so many trends on the internet. How does it feel to be part of a team that's leading the way in terms of trends, but they have kind of this gradient that isn't from a single color to another single color. It's not two color gradient. There's almost shapes and kind of this blob in the gradient. It's kind of hard to describe, but like I said, go to stripe.com. I'll also include an image to what a mesh gradient looks like in the newsletter. Another reason to subscribe, but yeah, that could definitely be a trend. Apple's used it a lot. I would say even their default background has some harder edges, but that's still kind of a mesh gradient feel. It's really cool. I love the look of it. Eric Kelly commented on Twitter saying, after seeing Stripe do it, I wouldn't be surprised if mesh gradient starts to get more popular. And I think that's exactly your point. Mm-hmm. If they've set so many trends, um, people have so many good things to say about Stripe as a whole. Yeah, that is pretty cool. And maybe it's something to keep an eye out for. So we'll see if that kind of stuff catches on. Mm-hmm. Now, I did put glass morphism on the site and that kind of effect almost works really well on top of a mesh gradient type feel. So glass morphism is a style where it feels like you're almost looking through glass, like a frosted glass. Apple's used it a lot with some of their overlays. I think if you tap into a folder on your phone, that window that pops up that has all the icons, that would be kind of like a glass morphism feel to it. It's funny. There's so many names for things that I've never Mm -hmm. specifically paid attention to or thought about. That's interesting. Yeah. And this look, it actually can be achieved within just one line of CSS. You can say in CSS, just filter blur and pass in how much you want it to blur, how many pixels you want it to blur by. And so this would be another reason to check out Advent of CSS. We created a modal, custom modal that pops up. And when it pops up, it gives the background a blurred effect. We didn't really do glass morphism because the overlay is not see-through. It's not transparent but you can achieve that blurry look with CSS. As we're talking about all of these different design trends and interactivity and what the future looks like, a big part of all of this is video. And one of our sponsors, Tella, actually specializes in video. Tella is a browser-based screen recorder that allows you to make videos and showcase your work and share your knowledge. Sometimes when you're creating videos, it can be hard to determine what tools are the best and easiest for you. And ultimately, these tools shouldn't be a hindrance for what you're trying to accomplish. And that's what's so great about Tela. You can record your screen, camera, and present slides. You can customize your videos with backgrounds, layouts, and other video clips. Then when you're done, you can just share those videos instantly. So be sure to check out tela.tv slash compressed. That way, our friends at Tello will know that we sent you. And actually, I do want to do a fun giveaway. We've never done this before, but if you decide to participate in the advent of CSS or the advent of JavaScript, use Tello to create a video of the code that you wrote, 
share it on Twitter and tag us at Compressed FM. And we will select a lucky someone to receive a free set of challenges from Advent of JavaScript or Advent of CSS, your choice. So special thanks to Tela for being a Compressed FM sponsor. So number 11, I put scrolling animations. I've been surprised by how many sites where I've been scrolling and it's like scrolling doesn't necessarily feel like I'm scrolling down on the page, but it progresses in animation or you have these marquee effects where you're scrolling vertically and things are going across the screen horizontally as you scroll. I've always thought that was a really nice touch. So I'll give a shout out to the PlanetScale website, which I think just looks really, really incredible. And it's got some sections that do exactly that. And it's like you're scrolling through a whole page, but you don't see yourself scrolling through the whole page. So you just scroll a little bit until this animation takes over and kicks in a new piece of input. That's another website I would highly recommend people just go scroll because I think it's really, really nice. And is a cool example of the subtle side effects you can have that go along with scrolling. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I like about this effect is sometimes you'll see it where you have a carousel of items. And like I said, as you're scrolling vertically, the carousel is going by horizontally and In design, that's one of the things that I'm always cognizant of is the fact that if I have, say, five cards in a carousel, what are the chances that the user is going to stick around long enough to see that fifth card in the carousel? Or if it's further down on the page and it's already been rotating, I have no idea if they're going to scroll down to the page and hit the third card or the fifth card. And so the thing about this design pattern is it almost ensures that they see the first through the fifth because they're scrolling through all the items to get to the bottom of the page. Yeah, definitely gives you some control over forcing the user to see everything that you want them to. So number 12, I have less neomorphism. And I want to explain that term because it sounds like a really technical design term. But if you think back into the olden days when iPhones just launched, there was a design trend called skewmorphism. And what that was is taking everyday design things and putting that in a digital format. So for example, if you opened up the Notes app it looked like you had a legal pad of paper inside a leather folio, not just this plain white screen. You felt like you were maybe writing on an actual legal pad. So that's skeuomorphism, where you're trying to imitate reality in a digital sense. So we started there and we almost swung the exact opposite direction and went to flat design, where we totally stripped all of that out and removed any drop shadows, any borders, and just made everything completely flat. And then now we started to skew back the other way to neomorphism, which is really short for new skeuomorphism. Apple's kind of done some of this. You've kind of seen some design trends with this as we've tried to pull real life objects back into design. The only problem is that it's bad for accessibility. The color palette doesn't have a high contrast. And so sometimes it becomes hard to differentiate the foreground from the background. And so that's created problems in terms of accessibility. And I think that that's really the key to this design trend is keeping accessibility more top of mind and making sure that we are designing for diversity and keeping everybody in mind when we're designing. I had an interesting conversation today internally at PlanetScale. I suggested having tooltips for something to give people a little extra context for what was there. And the person responded that like tooltips are not the best for accessibility, which was completely new to me. I had no idea that that was the case. I think that is probably design trend. I don't think we have this on a specific note, but I would say accessibility is probably just a trend in and of Mm -hmm. itself. More people call that out, more people are becoming more educated and it becomes just kind of built into people's practice. So from a design perspective, before you actually build a thing, when you're actually designing it, people are going to start to think about that more and more as well. 
Well, it's also a legal issue. I mean, Mm -hmm. especially if you're a government agency, you can get sued over accessibility. I'm curious what their recommendation was instead of a tooltip. The recommendation, I think, was... I was thinking hover on this thing to get information, but it was actually a button. And so clicking that button would do a pop-up. I don't remember, to be honest. It may have been a full screen pop-up to show you information about what state you're currently in and what that state represents. Because it was a little kind of flag thing that said you're in this specific mode. And I was like, well, I think people would probably want some context because that's a new phrase for them. Don't quote me on this at all, but I don't remember what the outcome of that was. I designed a few tool tips in the last week. Did you? So I was just yeah. curious yeah, what their recommendation was. I think and some of these things you can talk about design for accessibility, but some of it's also development for accessibility and mm-hmm. keeping that in mind. You can have something that's designed perfectly accessible, but if it's not implemented in a way that is accessible, then it's not really accessible. But not confusing at all. Clear as mud. <laughs> But that kind of leads into number 13 is I put inclusive copy. And I think you're going to see more and more of that, especially in form design. So, for example, number 14, being gender neutral, saying female, male, rather not say. But just trying to be mindful of other people and other perspectives. So number 15, I had page speed prioritization. With Google's 2021 update, they are prioritizing page speed and what that looks like. So making sure that for better or worse, paying attention to lighthouse scores. And there's actually a recent stat that was released that said that 53% of users will abandon a page that takes more than three seconds to load. The number of seconds is getting smaller every year. So it's crazy to me that was once eight is now three. So how does that factor in? Like if you're designing something, what might you add or take away to keep that in mind from a design perspective? I'm thinking the ability to load your bigger images at the bottom of the page versus the top of the page so that what's above the fold loads quicker and then the other stuff can load in as they scroll. Like, is that something that you would consider or what's top of mind there? Yeah. Or I would say having a progressive image load. So you could have, say, a blurry image load and then it refines as it loads more things. I'd also say SVGs are fantastic (laughs) because they're smaller and can be cached. If I would have known you were going to say that, I wouldn't have asked. I would have told that question. (laughs) I just thought in my head, softball. (laughs) (laughs) I just said the JPEG thing to keep you. So I wouldn't say SVG thing first. The other thing is fonts. So We've talked about this before. One of the critiques I put on the self-teach me site is I'm loading five fonts. There's a ridiculous amount of bandwidth that goes into loading five fonts. I don't think that's really necessary. So I could easily reduce that to increase my page speed. Other fonts are just hefty. If you see a font that looks like a marker, it's going to have more points on it because you're trying to get all of the strokes that make it look texturized. So that might be something to consider. There are a handful of fonts. This is kind of going back to development in the early 2000s and 90s, but there are a handful of fonts that everybody has on their machine. So if you really wanted to be mindful of that, you don't even have to include custom fonts. You could just use Arial or Georgia or Times New Roman, and then you're not even having to load a font onto your page. You heard it here first. Amy recommends for all of your sites next year, only use Arial, (laughs) Times New Roman, and Georgia. Verdania, Trebuchet, Lucinda Grand, those are your options. But you know what? When you're doing email design, that's what you're limited to. You can't use custom fonts unless you want to stick it within an image. Oh, really? I Mm -hmm. didn't know that. So how does inside of MailChimp, you can choose fonts, like Google fonts? Be curious to see what you get when you get the email versus Mm -hmm. when you click on the link to view in browser. So when you view it 
in your client, you might only see standard fonts, but then when you load it on a browser, you might see the fancy stuff. Email is just notorious for, I call it old school HTML, because you don't have access to all of the CSS stuff that you have within your browser. You're very limited. So number 16 is no code. And I'm just really excited about this right now. (laughs) It's really interesting to see where no code solutions are pushing things. We talked about this briefly on the last episode where we discussed tech to watch out for in 2022. And no code is a big piece of that. It's just really interesting to see what people are able to design and create with no code. Yeah, I'm excited. Honestly, just to stay in touch with you and the things that you I see just because you're more, with me. well, but only <laughs> for your insights on no code, no, code. no code. I mean, I just, I feel like you're the person that I talk to the most that actually has experience in that area. So I actually really enjoy hearing your perspective on it and the things that you've built on the tools as they progress and stuff like that. So yes, I hope we continue to talk, but <laughs> I must insist on getting updates on your opinions on no code. Yeah. One of my goals for 2022 and my list of 100 projects is to build like a full-fledged application in no code. I just want to see what the exact limitations are and push it as far as I can. And then I added number 17 in there. And some of this just might be from the work that I'm currently doing with clients, but just having even more of an emphasis on users. I feel like so many times as designers or developers, we're trying to impress our own biases into a design. And a lot of the stuff that I'm doing right now is actually asking the user what they want and trying to deliver a product or an application that really meets their needs instead of just my own. As you're listening to this episode, if design is right up your alley, and you're also a front-end developer, then I have a special opportunity just for you. So I work for a company called Zeal, and they are a software consultancy that designs custom applications and develops primarily in Rails and React. And Zeal holds a special place in my heart because, as I mentioned, I work there, but I can honestly say it's the best place I've ever worked. And good news for you, they are hiring In particular, we are hiring a senior UI UX designer and front-end developer. I'm pretty stoked about this position because you'll be on my team. We have some really fun initiatives planned for 2022, so you get to be a part of that. In general, our and really in general, our whole setup is pretty unique. So you can find more information on the website codingzeal.com. And of course, I'll include a link in the description below. So that's going to wrap up the list. Do we have any grab bag questions? We do. We have some comments and some questions. So I can read through these from Twitter. We've got a couple of funny comments. So Gary Simon is in the YouTube community, good designer as well. And he said, will we avoid a new trend that ends with morphism in 2022? (laughs) And you've already mentioned a couple of morphisms. You're welcome. Did not disappoint. (laughs) Yes. So Gary, uh, you will be happy to hear that. Tim T says a trend where no one in the team mentions pixel perfect. If there's no design for four other breakpoints, you know, I haven't done too many things lately that feels pixel perfect. I think some of that's just the introduction of responsive design. The fact that your design is going to change depending Mm -hmm. on the device and depending on how the user is interacting with whatever you're creating. I was on the JavaScript jabber podcast. It's not released yet, but recorded yesterday. Big deal. Look forward to that. 
And we had a conversation, AJ had a conversation about not liking responsive design. And he was basically mentioning, I think just responsive design not done well or really not looked at. And I think that was more what it came down to in his examples of not that responsive design is bad. It's just if you do it bad, yes, it's still going to be bad. But I think responsive design is there obviously to handle all the different devices and makeups of screens and all that kind of stuff that people use to make it going back to your points accessible for people focused on the users to make sure they have the best experience possible. But if it's not done well, then it can obviously be very, very frustrating. But yeah, keep an eye out in the next, I don't know how many weeks for the episode of JavaScript Jabber. Fun times. One thing that, you know, sometimes I think, man, it was so much easier in the day before we had all these devices that we had to build for. Like I still even remember the first website that I went to where it was responsive. Joe Hicks, actually, he's a older designer person, but I remember just sitting there moving my browser and being like, it moves, it changes, <laughs> this is crazy. I first learned about responsive design, like really before I'd done any web dev at all. And it was jQuery mobile, I think was the UI kit. Oh, so this funny. was like real early and they had some stuff built in to support responsive design. So I remember being pretty into that. And that became a big deal in the Windows 10 ecosystem, especially because of oh, these yeah. apps were running across multiple different devices, including Xbox and laptop and PC and Windows phone when they were around. So yeah, I got a little introduction to those several years ago or to that concept. You know, before we had that, we had all these browser quirks. And I remember IE6 was the bane of everyone's existence. <laughs> and I actually had a cheat sheet of all the browser hacks. And it was like, if you used all these crazy characters in CSS, then this browser would ignore it and you can type whatever you want and target this specific browser or you'd have five different style sheets and one would be for IE 11, one would be for IE 10 and 9 and 8. So I try and keep that in mind when I'm getting frustrated that something's not working at a specific breakpoint. It's not that it's necessarily easier or harder, it's just different. Absolutely, yeah. Syntax did a podcast where they talked about kind of looking at where we are now in the web development ecosystem versus where we were five or 10 years ago and how we still kind of don't like some of the things we have now, but in comparison to what they were five to 10 years ago, it's drastically improved. And I think it's easy for all of us to forget what it was like to do things the old way, whatever the old way was. We've got a couple more comments. Jason McNeil posted when material design started getting really popular, there was a trend to use feature discovery where a part of the screen was highlighted or spotlighted in an effort to draw the user's attention to new features. What do you think the 2022 equivalent would be? Like, what's the way to grab people's attention to a certain area on the screen? That's a good question. Oh, man, that's like a hot topic, too, when you're doing product design, because people are like, we want to give users a journey through the app and do exactly what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And it's like, sometimes I just think design should be so intuitive that it's unnoticed. The best design you don't even notice. Like it just works. Some of my most delightful experiences on my iPhone are just when I think, oh, I should be able to do this or I do it without even thinking that. And it works. It behaves exactly how you would think it would. But in that same breath, <laughs> I know that there's whole blog posts and articles of hidden features on your phone that you never knew happened. Like if you hold on the space bar, your keyboard basically turns into a trackpad and you can move your cursor around. Like it took people forever to figure out you could do that. And so there's a balance of not having those walkthroughs and making things intuitive, but also letting people know that those features exist. And 
unfortunately, to come full circle, I really don't know the answer to that question or have found the best way to introduce users to new features like that. Yeah, I think that's important to share too. Like we don't have a podcast and do topics because we know all the answers. We like to have discussions Mm -hmm. and thoughtful conversations with each other about these topics too. And some of those questions, maybe there is no easy answer, or at least that we have. The last comment that I think kind of sums up the episode, Zach Wilson left two comments, but the serious one, he said, but seriously, what new trends seem to be taking the forefront and what ways does minimalistic design seem to be changing, if at all? So I think we covered the like, what do you think is going to be hot for next year? Any thoughts on minimalistic design? Are we becoming more or less minimalistic? There's lots of websites that I have really loved that are super, super minimalistic. But then we kind of talked about in my website, like I wanted to add some of those more quirky things that were a little unique and you talked about like the animate on scroll type thing like adding those effects is actually really nice or secret easter eggs and that sort of stuff any thoughts on what does minimalism look like in 2022 yeah it's kind of an interesting question because you can approach it from two different angles you can approach minimalism from say like a pure white site where it's just like piece of text you know or (laughs) the inverse of that a black site with white text on top But you can also think about it from a usability standpoint. There's a story about the team at Apple that was trying to figure out how to handle the interface, I believe, for burning CDs on your computer. So (laughs) this is an older conversation. But the point was the team that was working on it was trying to think of what features do we need to include. And so the way that they were approaching the design was, here is the kitchen sink. Let's strip away all the things that we don't think a user needs. And so that's how they were approaching minimalism. When Steve Jobs came in the room to talk about minimalism, he didn't approach it from stripping things away. It was what's the bare minimum that a user needs. And he's like, they just need a burn button. You don't have to have all these features. Just stick the disc in and have a single button to hit burn. And that's what they ended up implementing. But it was just a completely different perspective on what minimalism is from a functionality standpoint. So I think that's one of the things that really just intrigues me about Apple and having these thoughtful products is Like an Apple remote has far less buttons than my TV remote, but it seems like it can do so much more than my TV Mm -hmm. remote because of how they've approached the design. Yeah, that's I've never quite thought of it that way either. And if you think about the original of what's it called? Just iPod. Is that what the original one was where it just had the wheel and the center button? Oh, yeah. I had another MP3 player and it had like forward and backwards and play and pause and all these things. And Apple was like, you get a spinning wheel. That you just like drag your hand around and you get a button and they figured out how to leverage those two pieces to do everything they wanted and needed. So I think they've definitely been a good example of making the most out of the least. I don't know if that sums Mm -hmm. it up well or not, but it is kind of cool to see what they've been able to do in that regard. Yeah. So I just even associate minimalistic design with thoughtful design, not necessarily less. Because like I said, that Apple TV remote has more features, but it's designed Mm. with less buttons. Yeah. I like that a lot. So thank you, everyone who left a comment and a question. We appreciate all of your insights. And thanks for being friends of the Compressed FM podcast. In the last section, we're going to do our picks and our plugs where we pick something that we want to share that we think is cool and then plug something of our own that we want you to go check out as well. Amy, do you have picks and plugs for us? Yes, I'm going to pick a card game called Unstable Unicorns. And this is a card game that my husband's uncle picked up for the family to play at Thanksgiving. And my kids loved it so much that we've bought it and we play it almost every night. And it's just a fun game. It says seven and older, but I mean, adults could play, your kids could play, but you're trying to collect all these unicorns 
in your stable and each unicorn has different features and you can also downgrade other people or upgrade yourself or do different things. So it's been a really fun game that we've all enjoyed playing. For my plug, I'm going to plug Advent of CSS. This is a project that James and I have been working on pretty hard <laughs> the last few months and just really excited about that. So by the time this episode drops, there's still a few more days left in the challenge, but it is not too late to sign up. So if you sign up now, you still get all of the previous challenges that we've done, plus the next two or three as they continue to drop until the 24th. So there's some really fun stuff I think in there, there's been a lot of challenges that we've enjoyed designing and building ourselves. James, what about you? What are your picks and plugs? I was not prepared when we got on and I was struggling to think about what my pick was. And I've been reading a new series. So we've talked about Throne of Glass being one of my favorite series. I actually have a YouTube video uh, where I built an API with Throne of Glass. That was fun. So maybe that'll be half of my plug is go and check that out on YouTube. But I was looking for something similar like fantasy teenish type stuff or young adult, I guess is the appropriate version. And someone had recommended the Mistborn series and it's a trilogy. And I downloaded the Kindle version, which was all three books in one, which those always, obviously it seems like you're moving slow percentage wise through the book. Cause you're not just moving through one book. It's three books, but the first book I looked it up cause it felt like it was moving really, really slow. And it's 670 pages. I realized. So I'm about a third of the way through the first book. And it's been really interesting because it's, kind of slow. Like there's a lot of not much happening, but for some reason it's still really entertaining and it's not one of my favorites of all time. I don't feel about it the way I felt with Throne of Glass, but I'm really into it and I'm really looking forward to reading at night. So it's been kind of a pleasant surprise so far. So it's the Mistborn series trilogy. It is long. So just to warn people of that, but so far so good. So maybe as I finish it in the next months or however long it takes, I'll have some more <laughs> feedback on how it progresses from there. But so far, so good. And then uh, plug, I'll do advent of JS, advent of JavaScript, advent of JS.com. And you said it, I've had a ton of fun. I think we've both worked really hard to try to get that stuff out in time for people and get good content for people. But the challenges themselves have been a lot of fun. I enjoy going through it and kind of figuring out how I would solve it and then teaching that and then getting feedback from other people too. Several people have joined the Learn, Build, Teach Discord and posted a few suggestions or comments or things like that. And that's been fun too because content creators don't definitively have the best way to do something at all times. So it's cool to get feedback and participation from people too. So yeah, that's been going well. Go and check those out and let us know what you think. That is going to wrap up this episode and the next episode, we are going to reflect back on this previous year. I think wins that we've had in our career, maybe losses, personal life, personal content, career, job stuff, anything and everything podcast wise, just going to be a cool opportunity, I think, for us to look back on what we've done and how it went and maybe some things we do differently and maybe some things that we'll double down on for the future. So looking forward to that one in the next episode. Thanks as always for checking us out. If you enjoyed it, make sure to leave us a comment and review. And in the meantime, that's all we got.